We are LP Magazine, and since 2001, we've been the leader in providing content and education for the loss prevention and asset protection industry, and we are known as the voice and authority of the LP community. Each episode, we'll be sharing and discussing the latest in trends and current issues related to all things retail and profit protection. You're listening to the LPM Podcast. Okay, in this LPM podcast, we're going to be talking to Rui Rodriguez, Executive Advisor on Loss Prevention and Risk Management for the Retail Council of Canada. I'm Jack Tralisa, Editor-in-Chief of Loss Prevention Magazine. So Rui, before we discuss the RCC and the LP industry in Canada, give us a brief summary of your professional background. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Jack. Uh, So I've been in LP in Canada for about 30 years. Um, I won't go back that far, but I've worked, uh, you know, it's important. I started as an LPO, a loss prevention investigator on the floor at a company called Eaton's, a big department store. Worked with companies such as Hudson's Bay Company or HBC, uh, Best Buy, Staples. Had a chance to lead uh, some of those programs at Best Buy, at Staples, uh, most recently Holt Renfrew. Uh, so I've been in the industry quite some time, uh, took on different roles throughout, uh, wanted to learn and be a well-rounded retailer with the expertise in loss prevention and risk management. So throughout that, I worked on the, you know, the retail side, the district side, but I also dealt with supply chain, took on health and safety, risk management, really to um, learn as much as I could uh, and focus on anywhere where losses could occur within an organization, within the retail realm, which is where I've specialized. Uh, So that's my background. I've been involved with the Retail Council of Canada uh, as a member for probably 18 years. I'm very passionate about our industry, as are many of my colleagues in Canada, uh, and worked with uh, my colleagues in the U.S., whether it's through the NRF, RELA, uh, or parent companies like Best Buy Staples uh, have introduced me to some folks there. Uh, Recognize where we have a lot of similarities and where we have some key differences. Uh, but it's always helped. So um, that's me, 30 years in this great business, love loss prevention risk management, love the retail world. Uh, and then I joined RCC at an advisor. So I, I am a consultant. They are a permanent uh, client, uh, but it gives me the opportunity to continue to do what I'm so passionate about in a different realm where I can actually work with many retailers, try to support our common objectives. Uh, so really enjoying that. So uh Tell us a little bit more about the uh, broad uh, mission of the Retail Council of Canada. Yeah, so, you know, obviously it's an association, so it's there to support its retail members. But I would go a little bit further that Retail Council of Canada certainly serves its members, uh, but also believes in creating information that if others can benefit from who are not members, um, you know, we do that as well. Obviously, there's got to be value to our members as well. Uh, But RCC is all about serving and advocating for our retail, um, doing the heavy lifting that's needed for members, uh, whether it's advocating with government, police, crown, environment, you name it. Uh, and they're very good at doing that. Um, so there's a lot of work specifically in the loss prevention risk uh, space. Uh, it's really gathering our leaders, our retailers together to really talk through what the common issues are, common concerns getting people committed to coming to the table and identifying those. So it's, you know, triaging to that and then working together, sharing information where we can best practices. Uh, And I think most critically, Jack, is getting stuff done. 
you know, if I've, I've been on that side for a long time where uh, it's easy to say, well, what's the RCC doing for us? I'm a big advocate of what are we doing for ourselves? The RCC is there to help, but as retailers, we have to come together with a common ideology, vision of what needs to be done, and then really leverage the RCC to do that. And that's where I think the RCC is extremely strong, is facilitating the conversations, the discussions, narrowing in on a common focus, and then helping identify, okay, what are we going to do? What is the activity that needs to happen? Uh, but it's always keeping the retailer at front of mind and involved through that process and then reaching out to the you know, relevant uh, parties that need to help. Again, whether it's government, police, agencies, different folks, and uh, being that common glue that brings us together, keeps us together, and keeps driving that agenda forward. Gotcha. So what are some of the RCC programs that are uh, in place specifically to support LP and asset protection risk management? Yeah, so I mean, we've got some very common recurring events. Obviously, we have a you know loss prevention forum or conference every year, uh, which allows everybody to gather, share, network, vendor partners to come together, look at what's out there, facilitates the discussion, uh, which I believe in those events. However, they on their own are not enough. So what the RCC has done is facilitated other gatherings, whether it's webinars. So it's triaging information from the team, the field out there, what's concerned, what's bothering them, what do they need help with, uh, and then working on activities uh, to try to deliver content back to the members. One thing I'm very proud of over the last year is getting uh, an advisory committee together. So there's a lot of stuff out there and it's very complex and COVID has made it. And if you try to go after everything, you'll never get anything done. Uh, so what I'm proud of is, you know, there's about 28 retail members that came to the table and said, yeah, we want to work together. And as we exit out of COVID, uh, which, you know, RCC, I was on the client side, um, did a great job keeping people together. But as we exit, you know, crisis have a way of bringing people together. But when the crisis is gone, people gravitate back to their own areas and are busy. Uh, so we stood up an LP advisory committee. Uh, I'm very proud of colleagues, like I said, about 28 members representing all of Canada, different verticals of retail, whether it's grocery, pharma, big box, small specialty, to get them to the table to talk about common issues outside of COVID. Um, we started with about 30 items and the group that's discussed through those and prioritized three that are important to everybody, are not going away, and are things that if we work on together, we can make some meaningful action. So those became three strategic objectives for the advisory to steer, guide, advise, and move forward. Uh, and then on top of that, we have working groups that facilitate you know, the everyday issues that come up, ability to gather people quickly together, talk through the issues, share some best practices, get some information out to our members, whether it's through a newsletter or an email or post it on our website. Uh, for example, you know, de-escalation tips, uh, you know, we try to quickly turn something around. And then, of course, if there's a demand, we'll take that on to do something even more meaningful uh, that people can take advantage of. So I would say those are the critical forums. Definitely, you know, the conferences, the advisory committee, steering the objectives, the working groups, and then having these different webinars that can come up around thought leadership, information sharing and education, which gives us the opportunity to even pull in our vendor partners uh, to talk to our members about how to properly do certain things from their expertise. Mm -hmm. So tell us, what are some of the retail brands that are represented on your uh, loss prevention advisory council? 
Yeah, and happy to share. It's not private because it's actually posted on the RCC website. Uh, everybody gave us the permission to do that. So we've got, you know, if I go west to east coast, we've got brands like Aristia, Sobeys, uh, Savon, uh, which groceries. Uh, we've got Walmart, Home Depot. So you know the big brands everybody would recognize. We've also got uh, the SAQ, which is a liquor brand in Quebec. Um, Sephora, which people know, but it's smaller type retailer. Um, you know, there's a lot of them, but those are some of the ones that come to mind. LCBO, which is another liquor brand in Ontario. Um, so we wanted, again, Rexall, which has more of the pharmaceutical. Uh, it wasn't just everybody can participate and we're happy. It was, let's make sure we represent the country, the brands, uh, because we think by doing so, it creates more thought leadership, right? It's not like-minded individuals because they have the same concerns because of their brand uh that best practice sharing certainly helps them okay well you know during the you, during the uh, covid pandemic uh, canada was pretty severely locked down so how did you support your members during the pandemic yeah and uh, you know jack i actually made the transition i started out as a member <laughs> at the beginning of covid and then joined the rcc uh, through it so uh, I can speak from both sides. Um, one thing RCC did very well through the crisis was connecting with members, uh, keeping members informed. So some examples, uh, they had weekly member calls uh, with the COVID um, stats changing every day and announcements and regulations. Uh, RCC had a dedicated page to make sure provincially by every province there was updates on the latest, you know, masking, limitations, quantities, uh, occupancy rates, anything. So that was to the point. The local teams and RCC has uh, government relations directors in the various provinces, very connected within their own areas of what's happening there. Uh, so that gave a great flavor to the members to be able to have somebody who is in British Columbia, who is in Ontario, who has the connections with the members, public safety ministry, or getting the information firsthand so they could trust that the RCC would keep them updated. Uh, so I would say through COVID, keeping people informed was critical. More than that, uh, they created some great content, right? As things happen uh, in regulations, there was content created and provided through all members, uh, as well as non-members, that they could go to the RCC site and find the content for, you know, posters, occupancy requirements, uh, shutdown playbooks, reopening playbooks, you know, general templates that even the smallest of retailers who might be just hard pressed dealing with everything they were dealing with and may not have the, the large organization and, and people to work on, you know, posters on plans that they could go somewhere and great, grab a template and leverage that, uh, which RCC did a great job. Uh, and I've heard from a lot of members through COVID, not just LP side, but from other areas. Uh, RCC definitely was value added to our members to keep them engaged, keep them informed, post, uh, you know, weekly calls to make sure everybody stayed connected and could share. Uh, so I think they did a great job. The crisis certainly, I think, brought the best out of the RCC. That's great. That's great. Um, so you mentioned uh, de-escalation uh, a minute ago, and, uh, and could you get into a little bit more detail about some of the specific initiatives that you've mentioned and that are ongoing? Yeah, so you know, I, I would share with you the three strategic objectives that this advisory committee landed on. Uh, was one was 
our concern with the increase of violence, arson, and property damage that we've seen through COVID, uh, and is not teetering off. So that's one objective. You know, how do we look at those increases and get some things uh, working with police, crowns, and government to start to see uh, receding of that increase? And the key is we've seen the increase in violence, but we haven't seen the equal response of the police being able to support the crown and so forth. Uh, and we all have very understanding that their resources are being stretched as well. So we, we want to talk to them and work on some solutions. So that's a critical one. The second one was kind of a, a, a nice segue to that was collaborating with police, crown and government, not just saying, hey, you, I've been waiting eight hours. I didn't get a police response. It's really coming to the table around, hey, I waited eight hours in future. Is there an opportunity we can look at these wait times if we in the retail sector acknowledge we're not going to call for every shoplifting incident so we don't tie you down with 100 calls that maybe only two really needed a response. Can we get to an agreement that when we call because there's a threat of life, uh, a threat of risk and assault, that we do get the, pr the priority? Uh, and I think there's been a, this, a big misunderstanding, Jack, at all levels. And by coming to the table to talk about it, we're getting through it. Uh, where we hear from our partners uh, in police, hey, we have 80 calls for code one. Those are all life threat. Uh, nowadays, when we get a call where we might dispatch one officer before, now we have to dispatch three because we've seen a 40% increase in mental health situations when we go out. Uh, so obviously that's tying our officers down. And a traditional call that might've involved, we go to scene, we deal with, we clear, we move on. Now, if it is a a drug addiction, a mental health issue, something that requires a lot more effort to deal with. Our officers are now tied down for six to eight hours, having to decide where do I take this individual? So I think as we come to a common understanding that everybody is trying their best, and then there's the measure of the court systems, the perception, and it is there that every crime in retail is a property crime and it's not, there's no violence, there's no victim which is not true, uh, but I think we own a bit of that to clarify when there is an incident where there is violence, we need to lead with that, with a good impact, victim impact statement that clearly identifies to police and to Crown. This isn't about, I lost X amount of items worth X dollars. This is about, I have an employee who got assaulted, who's out for six months and is now forever affected based on what occurred. So I think we're still going through that piece of understanding uh, but that collaboration is critical. And I'm happy to, to say we now have police at the table. Uh, we're reaching out to the courts. We're reaching out to some of our government agency and ministers to get them to speak with us uh, and to work with us on solutions. The conversation is great, but it's only good as when those conversations lead to minds aligning on something to do and then going after it and trying. And that's what we're really looking for. Uh, and retail is going to own some of that, right? If we need to acknowledge that we're not calling from everything, we need to, uh, to make it easier for police and crown and government. Uh, but that's another. Uh, the third one is organized retail crime. Uh, that is our third strategic objective. And we have, again, formed a working group. We've got some police partners at the table uh, discussing with us. We're now getting some crown and other government participants to really look at um, redefining ORC, I think people are tired of hearing the term and not understanding it. It gets lumped in with organized crime. Uh, others just think it's shoplifting. Um, and organized retail crime, and I think the concern now is even more so, is around, one, the professional, uh, 
uh, and the black market demand and to the prolific violent offenders and the gangs that are violent. So it's not just through RC, it's what comes with that. Uh, and we know that as much as the market has boomed with e-commerce uh, and creating all kinds of different avenues for people to shop, that has also led to an increase in organized retail crime enterprises that are able to sell online as well, which you know, with COVID and the economic times that it's put people through, uh, there's a lot more people who are willing to buy black market uh, merchandise that is stolen, which two years ago may not have been uh, there because they were in better economic situation. Uh, but that supply and demand fuels the or that ORC activity. And there's the professionals and there's the prolific and violent. Uh, and we need to get a handle on that uh, because right now we feel like we're losing this battle. All right. And I would say simply, Jack, if those professionals and prolifics continue to perpetrate the violent and prolific offenses and repeat and retailers aren't making the arrest because we're taking our safety into matter or when they do we're not getting the police or crown support to send a clear message these folks just get more confident that they can get away with what they're doing and there's no consequences and if we keep going down that we're going to get to a critical mass where we can't get a handle on it so i think we're coming out of covid we're in a perfect situation to collaborate and have some things in place that starts to curtail. And the only way we can measure it is to see recidivism decrease, right? We see those repeat prolific offenders not offending again. And we need to be able to measure that with the police and the Crown, that that's actually happened. Well, you know, you've hit on a, um, a, a topic that is just everybody's struggling with because it's so, uh, ORC has grown so much over the last several years. And, you know, it's, uh, of course, it's, it's prolific here in the United States, but uh, I didn't realize that maybe it was as prolific as it is in Canada. So, uh, you know, I think there's going to be learnings from uh, what's going on in the United States and what's going on in Canada. And that kind of brings me to, uh, I guess, one of my my last questions and is, uh, Rui, how, do, how can U.S. and Canadian loss prevention professionals better connect to learn from each other? Well, I, I think it starts there, Jack, is connecting. And I think uh, one of the things we're looking at, you know, we have great relationships with the NRF, RELA. Uh, and I think now that we're getting our structure and our strategic objectives in mind, uh, I think it's time to start reaching out to our LP communities in those associations because they can connect. Uh, there are going to be differences. I think there's value in sharing. There's obviously a lot of companies in Canada with parent companies in the U.S., uh, so there's value there. I think what we always need to recognize is there are differences, uh, right? So I shared the example, you know, very media centric over the last few months when we had, uh, you know, those mob type of thefts happening in California, some spots in, in Chicago. It's easy in Canada to get sucked into the media, right? Reality is that hasn't happened in Canada. Uh, are the risks there? Yeah, sure. Of course there are. But we don't necessarily have the same level of population density in as many cities. So there are risks that are apparent in the U.S. that may not be in Canada. It doesn't mean we don't learn from them. Uh, but I think we just need to be conscious of sharing best practices and leveraging each other, but recognizing those subtle differences. Because I, I think sometimes it's easy to run with something that is happening in the U.S., and tried to make that relevant in Canada. And I think we lose our ground and we lose our credibility when we try to argue for something that people can look, but wait a minute, that's not happening here. 
Uh, and I think that's important because if we're talking to government and others and we want to tell those stories, they're only relatable if we can back that up. So I think we need to be cautious not to sensationalize things happening elsewhere in the world if we can't look back and say it's there. Now, I think we can learn from that, right? Uh, if you look at Canada, US, most of our population in Canada is along that border. Uh, so it's very important for us to monitor what's happening in the US, learn from, and I think we get the advantage of leveraging what's being done there to plan to be active. And I think that's where we have the advantage with our retailers, with government, with Crown, to not tell the story of, look what's happening in the US, you know, that's going to happen here. And, you know, we got to do it's look at what's happening there. It could migrate and has that in the past. What can we do to make sure we get ahead of it? Because unfortunately for them, it's already happened. But for us, we have time to talk through a plan and prevent it as much as possible and be ready for it. And I think that's where the value is not just applying what the U.S. is doing, but really understanding, getting, you know, it's a much bigger population, uh, much bigger opportunity to study. What have you done? What's worked? What's not worked? And then take those best practices and apply them here. Probably a great, not probably, it is a great opportunity for us to connect more with, hey, based on what happened there, what are you guys doing? What are you applying? What's working? And leverage that to apply it, uh, obviously, to Canada. Well, you know, this has been very interesting, and I hope that uh, our listeners and readers um, learn something about the RCC. And and uh, let me ask you one last thing. What what did I forget to ask you? Is there something that you uh, you want to say that uh, we haven't touched on yet? Uh, you know what, Jack? I would probably on my end just close it with. Uh, you know, I think we have a great bunch of people uh, in the U.S. and Canada who are very passionate about the safety of our shop workers, uh, whether it's the operators, the HR folks, the LP folks. Uh, what I'm proud to talk about and the humanity that I've seen through COVID is the people that have come together to help each other out. Uh, and I think if anything we've gotten out of COVID is closer uh, at sharing, at leveraging each other uh, and maximizing what we can from each other. So for me, my goal and my hope is that we continue to do that uh, we don't shy away from that. We don't go back to just being our own brands <laughs> uh, and being in our silos. My goal and whatever I can do from the RCC is to keep people at the table, sharing, talking through best practice, collaborating, and realizing that COVID was just one example of how when we work together really well, even through a crisis, we get some good things out of it. We can continue to do that. And I think others have seen that. Uh, so you know, I welcome our U.S. partners and I've been looking forward to reaching out to the teams there. And if this makes it to the ears of some folks in the U.S. who see it and say, I should reach out to Rui and connect with the RCC up there and see what we can do to help and offer and get from, then that's a win for me. That's great. That's great. Well, and hopefully as uh, things open up a little bit and we start to have in-person conferences again, uh, we'll, we'll be able to uh, meet face-to-face and have some of those, that networking and some of that learnings together. So uh, thanks again, Rui. I appreciate it very much and uh, hope you have a good rest of your day and we'll uh, hopefully see you soon. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Appreciate it. Take care. You're listening to the LPM Podcast.